Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and self-motivation. And with us in our virtual studio is the Dr. Rosa Barkley, one of my uh, most insightful guests and one of my favorite to have on. I always learn a ton. Uh, real quickly, let's get into uh, a few announcements so we can get into the show. The uh, 2018 annual conference on ADHD is around the corner, November 7th through the 11th in St. Louis, Missouri. That's in the year 2018. Um, if you haven't already checked into that, we encourage you to do it. Last week, we ran a show um, that previewed um, some of the keynotes, Dr. Barkley being one of them. We encourage you to go listen to that show to kind of get a glimpse of what's going on and get kind of psyched up. Uh, also, tonight's show is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, and they're offering two free digital copies of Attention Magazine uh, for the, our listeners. All you need to do is just listen to the show, listen to the secret word that we're going to give out, and uh, send us an email at attention at attentiontalkradio.com. And if you include the, the keywords of three shows and the dates and or titles, we'll send to you the two uh, PDFs of the magazine, uh, current subscription and one that will follow. Um, again, tonight's show is being brought to you by Chad. Uh, we're going to share a little tip that they've got, and then we'll get into the meat of the show. Getting organized is a real challenge for most people diagnosed with ADHD. One of the hardest things is getting started. Here are three tips. Select a reward to give yourself when you've completed your project. Get a friend to help make the job go faster. Join an online community for mutual support. For more ideas, visit Chad's website at helpforadhd.org. Thanks, Chad, for that tip and your continued support. For those who are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. Uh, we encourage our listeners to become members um, to support the organization. Uh, Chad has a lot of great member benefits, but one of the keys to supporting them is they speak with one voice in the ADHD community, both on Capitol Hill, different regulatory agencies, and in the world. So a strong Chad is a, a strong community. Uh, you can learn more and become a member by going to chadd.org. Um, okay, let's talk about tonight's show. Tonight's show is ADHD and motivation. I've done many, many interviews with Dr. Barkley over the years, rounding out um, key executive functioning. This is the one that we haven't done, and I'm very excited to bring it to you. This, uh, this was pre-recorded. It was a fascinating interview. I know I learned an absolute ton and actually had fun a little bit at the end uh, just sharing some of the things that I've learned from coaching with Dr. Barkley, and he he uh, shared his with me. So real quickly, uh, Dr. Barkley is a Ph.D. of clinical uh, professor of psychology at Virginia Treatment Center for Children and the Virginia Commonwealth University Medical Center. He holds a uh, diploma in clinical psychology, clinical child and adolescent psychology, and uh, clinical neuropsychology. Dr. Barkley has been featured in seven award-winning DVDs, has presented more than 800 times invited to go address uh, an international crowd, which is pretty impressive, appeared on national television programs and radio programs such as 60 Minutes, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS, Sunday Morning, and CN, CNN. Excuse me. He has received numerous awards for his contributions to ADHD research and clinical practice. He's published his publications in 22 books, rating scales, and clinical manuals, and more than 260 uh, scientific articles and 
and book chapters on the nature assessment and treatment of ADHD. His latest book, When an Adult You Love Has ADHD, Professional Advice for Parents, Partners, and Siblings, uh, that, which is available from the publisher, uh, that's uh, Guilford Published Patients and other major booksellers. Uh, you can also get it and learn more about Dr. Barclay at his website, russellbarclay.org, where you can find that and a whole host of other things. So with that, we'll roll the tape. Dr. Barclay, welcome to the show. Good to be back, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I, I, it's, a, it's a thrill. I always learn so much, and I'm very excited about to our, 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 um, our topic today of ADHD and motivation. To, to really get into this, we need to put it into a context. So can we back up? We've done a bunch of shows before, but can we just talk about executive functioning in totality so we understand how this fits? Well, I think that's very important, Jeff, because uh, in order to understand how does an attention disorder lead to a motivational problem, the connection between those two isn't obvious to most people. But if you inject the executive function view that you and I have for ADHD, particularly in adults, you can make the connection very quickly. And we, we had talked previously that there are seven executive functions, which are very quickly your self-awareness and self-monitoring, your inhibition and self-restraint, your working memory, both your visual working memory and your verbal working memory. We talked about yep. that, which is largely self-speech. Yep. Uh, we also talked about emotion regulation on your last program, uh, and yep. that's very important because emotion is motivation. We do things for emotional reasons, and that's because all emotions have sort of a motivational color to them. And then, of course, on mm -hmm. top of that, there is the planning and the, the problem-solving module. So if you take all of those executive functions and you look at them, motivation is tied to a number of them. First of all, when people try to self-motivate, they usually are doing things like visualizing their goals, talking to themselves about what they're doing, giving themselves a little pep talk when they have to do something that's boring, but it's really important to get it done because the long-term consequences are not so good. The short-term consequences, there are none, but in the long run, it's going to be a problem. So, you know, typical people use a variety of mental strategies to do that, and that, that means they're using their working memory, they're using their visual imagery, they're using their self-speech, but they're using a, a variety of other strategies besides these basic innate executive function capacities. And, and in doing that, they're able to motivate themselves uh, or to reduce the obstacles on the way to their motivation. So I think by understanding how that system works, we can begin to get some clues for all right, what, what can we do about it? You know, if I can't self-motivate the way other people can, if it takes me seven times longer to get boring stuff done than it does my colleagues at work or my fellow students in school or, or just in my home life with the, the chores and the scut work of daily living we all have to do, how do I get around that? What, what do I do to kind of help correct this problem if I can? Uh, and, you know, understanding, of course, that there are these innate deficits in self-motivation that come with ADHD, but there are ways of getting around them, just like there are ways of getting around the working memory problems. So that's the connection, and, and it is treatable. Mm -hmm. There are a variety mm -hmm. of things that you can do, and I'm sure you've coached many of your clients and people on your show about just how to go about doing this. So I, I think you and I can brainstorm this together very nicely for our listeners uh, in order to get some idea of, all right, what do I do? How do I go about doing this? Yeah, and so just from, from your side of it, because there's a couple of shows that I want to reference that we've done in the past, what are some of the things that you've seen that are, are things that people with ADHD can do to self-motivate? 
Well, I think the first thing is to recognize, uh, and this is very important, recognize that ADHD comes with a motivational deficit. It's inherent. It's intrinsic to the brain. Uh, it's not a moral mm-hmm. failing. It's not a life choice. It's not like you could wake up tomorrow and decide to be different than what you yep. are. So to me, step one is you have to own your ADHD and your executive deficits that it brings with it. And one of those deficits is motivational because owning it means you'll start to realize I need to do something about this. And as we just talked about in your last show, it's like saying I'm a diabetic. If you don't say that, you're not going to do anything about your diabetes. You're not going to manage your diet and exercise more and pay more attention to your hygiene and all the things that diabetics have to do, including taking Uh insulin if necessary, to deal with their diabetes. And it's the same with ADHD. Probably a good chunk of what you and I do is helping to convince people to buy in, to own this, because it's okay to own it. It's okay to be ADHD. It's not some kind of moral failing you know, it's not some yep. stigma that you have to carry around and be ashamed of. It's just part of who you are. I mean, I'm bald. I have to wear glasses. I'm colorblind. I own those things. I don't deny them because by denying them, I'll never solve them. I'll never compensate for them. And and I love what you talked about in your last show about how you get people toward that stage of acceptance because nothing else is going to matter if you don't accept that you have this. So that's step one to me. Real quickly, I learned this from my mother, who's a second-grade teacher. She would walk in, she's teaching kids, like, like maybe something. She would talk about how difficult it really was and really kind of emphasize it. And I do that a lot in coaching because if you don't acknowledge something, if you don't recognize or give it, it's due if you minimize it. You're not really giving it the respect, and you're not able to really kind of move past it. And so really kind of owning right. your ADHD and saying, hey, it's here, it's an issue, and I have that, you're giving it respect, and you can actually put the energy towards it to make something happen, whereas if you act like it's not there, you're minimizing it, and you're really not putting effort, and you end up having some difficulty with it. So I apologize. I just want to kind of insert that. Um, no, I, I think that's, that's absolutely important, Jeff. You know, those are crucial things for people to understand, because otherwise, you keep setting yourself up for failure, and for yeah. even irreparable harms that can, can come and hurt you. For, you know, for instance, as you know, my, my fraternal twin brother, Ron, was was adult ADHD. And of course, unfortunately, he uh-huh. died from his ADHD. But, you know, it, it took him until about he was in his late 30s to even start to own this. Well, guess what? He had burned through three marriages. He had lost a variety of jobs. Uh, he had difficulty paying his child support. Uh, and, you know, and he also had been in and out of detox for drug use. Uh, and all of those are preventable if you'll own this because by owning yep. it, you start to go ahead and access the available treatments. But he wouldn't own it. He wouldn't own it till he was in yep. his 30s. And, and although he did, he sporadically denied it. So even his ownership, provisional and episodic, not continuous. And as a result, he was dropping out of treatment from time to time because he would go back and say, well, you know, I don't think there's really anything wrong with me. Uh, and therefore, I don't yep. know why I need this. It's my wife's. It's my bosses, you know, it's everybody else around me. So that's why you and I, I think, emphasize the ownership of ADHD because, boy, will it save you from a lot of future harms that come to you by not owning it. All right, so owning step one, step two? Yep, step two is, all right, let's take a look at how do other people use their executive system uh, and how do we change that? in order for people with ADHD to do the same thing. For instance, when 
I want to motivate or when somebody wants to self-motivate, one of the first things they do is they visualize the goal. They think about it. Mm -hmm. This is my goal. This is what I'm going to earn when I get to that goal. Uh, And they think about the reward. And by visualizing it and thinking about it, those images come with motivation. They activate you. They get you excited about, my God, I'll be able to do this. I'll finish that. I'll be able to, you know, to buy this or I'll have access to, you know, a promotion or a raise or whatever it is that's going to come with completing that goal. Uh, You you know, even if it's just avoiding the pain of not completing it, you know, because you're going to get called on the carpet by your boss or your faculty professor uh, if you're in college for not getting that done. You're avoiding the embarrassment that goes with that. But visualizing consequences, as we all know, is a great way of activating ourselves. And so people who don't have ADHD are typically using these internal visual images to do that. Well, people, as you know, with ADHD that we've talked about, find it hard to visualize and then keep that image in mind while they're working. That's their their nonverbal working memory. And so what could you do to compensate for that? Well, the thing we talked about on the last show when it comes to working memory is externalizing. Whatever you have in working memory, offload it. Get it onto something outside of you, something physical. And so, for example, where other people might use a visual image of their goal and the rewards, you need to create an external image of that. So can you find pictures in a magazine? Can you draw a picture? Can you doodle something? Can you in some way create a cue around you, outside of you, that represents that goal and that reward? and what you hope to gain from completing that task. So visualizing helps typical people. It'll help ADHD people too, but find a picture if you can in some way. And so one of the one of the things that I know at um at the ADHD Coaches Organization Conference, um the the ADD Academy will walk around, everybody has a pause button. And we advocate that stuff because, you know, one of the challenges, Dr. Barkley, is to get the executive functioning brain, the thinking brain, to override that automatic brain. And that pause button is a visual yeah. reminder to kind of help people catch themselves and go, wait a second. It's a motivational thing to get me back on task. I'm off task. And that pause button is a visual representative to hit that pause to, to actually stop and engage the thinking brain to override it and kind of get back on track. Um, and very, very Absolutely. effective, uh, I might add. I've, I've yeah. had people where we put pause buttons all over the place as a visual reminder right. to kind of keep them focused on what they're doing. I um, think you can, you can use an image of that. You can get the old Staples easy button and write the word pause over top of it, you know, on yep. masking tape. You know, any cue that you can use to get yourself to stop because by stopping, you give the executive system a chance. And part of that executive system is motivational. Yep. I, I tell you what, we need to go to a break real quick. Um, uh, we'll come back. We'll kind of pick up where we are. If you want to learn anything about Dr. Barkley, just Google Dr. Barkley because he's really literally all over the place. But his um, website is russellbarkley.org still. Is that correct? That's correct. And, everyone, our secret word tonight is motivation. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. You've tried logic. Johnny, just calm down and work. Then you can go out and play with your friends. Now get the help you really need to improve motivation, communication, and compliance for kids with ADHD. Join nationally recognized ADHD parent coach Cindy Goldrich and her team of experts at PTS Coaching. Take the first step. Sign up for parent workshops today at ptscoaching.com. 
workshops offered in person, via the web, and as e-courses. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an EDGE Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and Executive Function Challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. We're here with Dr. Russell Barkley having a great conversation about ADHD and motivation. Uh, in the first segment, we really kind of talked about the seven uh, kind of le- levels of executive functioning, and we started taking a look at motivation. Number one, own it. Uh, own your ADHD. And two, um, begin to visualize it and begin to kind of see what's in the future and actually begin to externalize some of those things. Um, and we're going to pick up where we kind of left off, continue working um, down the um, down the path on this. So, uh, Dr. Barkley, what, yes. what would, with, with the visualization, what would be next? Okay, well, besides visualizing the reward that you're going to get by completing this task, the second thing that typical people do is they talk to themselves. But typical people have an internal voice. They have a mind's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all do. Uh, but for typical people, yep. that mind's voice is more compelling. It has a stronger influence over behavior, and they can use it to guide themselves. Just like your GPS in a car talks to you, yep. it doesn't just show you a map. It gives you verbal statements about where to go uh, to, in order to you know, avoid traffic and get to your goal. Uh, and that's the mind's voice. And where typical people are doing that, that's harder for ADHD people to do. So you've already mentioned one thing, and that is to pause. Uh, By building in the pause, you'll activate the system. But let's also realize that even if you activate your ability to talk to yourself, uh, it may not be as strong or influential as it is in other people. So just as with images and putting those outside of you and offloading those images to something physical around you, I uh, ask people to do the same thing with their verbal strategies. So rather than just talking to yourself in your mind, talk to yourself out loud. Hear that voice yes. out loud. It's, it's like a mental pep talk, just like the coach at the beginning yep. of the, the sporting event or the football game is trying to rouse the team to get going. You can do that with yourself. And part of that is believing that you can get this goal done and saying that to yourself. I can do this. I know I can. I'm capable of this. And then talk about the reward. If I get this done, X or Y or Z is going to happen to me, uh, and it's going to be great. Uh, so let's get started. So give yourself a pep talk, say it out loud, write it down on a card if you have to, and put that card in front of you, whatever it is, those little statements or those simple words you're using, 
that yep. motivate you. Put those outside of you. If necessary, record them on a digital recording device and mm-hmm. play that back periodically while you're getting the work done. I mean, that's you. That's your, your current self yep. talking about your future self. And people find that yep. very motivating, particularly if they will externalize it and replay it throughout the task. So the, the first thing we talked about was owning it. The second is visual strategies and using sort of pictures and cues outside of you. The third is verbal strategies and articulating those vocally, saying them out loud, mm-hmm. and then putting them down on something around you, you know, some other storage device, a piece of paper, a digital recorder, whatever you can think of, and keep these cues around you to help keep you going when your fuel tank, tank is getting low. Uh, and you'll find that it can help to refuel you along the way. So that's a good strategy. I know you've talked about doing that before with your clients. Absolutely. So there's a a bit of mindfulness to this and a bit of intention that one would sit down and say, listen, I need to self-motivate. I need to own this. I need to visualize it. I need some self-talk in here. And I need to put this stuff externalized in order to get that that self-motivation going. Is that accurate? That's exactly it. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Uh, But there are some other things things that they can do. Go ahead. There are some other things that that they can do uh, besides the things that we just mentioned. And, you know, one of those is sometimes no matter what you do, whether you do the picture thing or you self-talk or you record self-talk, it just doesn't seem to be working for you. And that's because you're encountering obstacles along the way. And you have a great example of how, by identifying obstacles that cause procrastination, you can leap over the hurdles of the obstacle and get back on your course again. So I I really think it's worth here you articulating that again. Even if your listeners have heard this before, it's a great strategy for learning what's in the way, why am I procrastinating? So one of the things that I've learned, Dr. Barkley, is there's five reasons people procrastinate. One is it's boring. Two is uh, you have to confront somebody or you have to persuade somebody. And the the ambiguity in that is you don't know what the argument is. You don't know the right perspective. Another one is you don't know how long it's going to take. The other one is just pure ambiguity. And then there's an emotional component to not performing it. Boredom is certainly an issue with people with ADHD. But what's fascinating to me is the ambiguity. The not knowing how yeah. long it's going to take, often as you sit down and you do a project, and you and I have talked about, boot up your mind. Like when you sit down to do your taxes, you, you have to get your head into it. And I relate it to like booting up a computer. And when you load all that stuff in your mind, it's a very effortful process that you've got to go through in order to do that. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to get your mind booted up and then get into it for like 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, you've got to go to another meeting because it all evaporates. And when you come back, you have to go through all that effort again to load it back in your mind. And after yeah. a while, it's inefficient. It's, it's very effortful. And so if you don't know how long it's going to take, you have a tendency to kind of put it off. Um, yeah. Also, general ambiguity, sometimes I was coaching a guy one time. It was like he needed to make a phone call to tell um, – his family members about his daughter's dance recital, and I said, well, what's hard about this? And he said, there's nothing hard. It's just a phone call. I said, but it's on your procrastination list. So what's hard yes. is, well, I guess I guess usually when I call, they ask me, like, wh- what they're supposed to bring or where they're supposed to park, and I'm going, oh. And he says, at that point in time, I don't want to go back to my wife. She's tasked me with this a bunch of times. That's the, the emotional side of procrastination. Yeah. And so as we begin okay. to unfold this a little bit, we began to realize that he wasn't aware of it. And if he would ask his wife, okay, i got to make these phone calls, 
what are some of the other things they're going to ask me? This is a working memory issue because he's got to recall this. And by asking his wife and her arming him with this, now it's easy for him to go to do this. And so I'm sharing this example because he thought it was just making a phone call. But number one, he's got to use his working memory because he's got to be able to think about this a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing we talked right. about is how do we make it easy for him to self-regulate? How do we make it easy for the for the phone call? And I've learned so much from you that with ADD, number one is you got to make it easy to self-regulate. You got to make it exciting. You got to get the tools that you right. need at point of performance, and you have to minimize how it's taxing your working memory. You have to externalize it, or in the situation I just described, sometimes somebody yeah. just asking you questions. Um, for example, you've right. got to pack and go somewhere. I found is, if uh, hey, so where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What do you need to bring? It's odd. I'm asking those questions. The person could do that themselves, but when I do it, right. it triggers stuff, and they begin to think about it, and they okay. make a list really quickly where if they have to do it on their own, they don't. So I always work with them and yeah. say, how can we identify what we're not clear about with specific specificity, let's talk about where you can go to get clear and how do we minimize working memory, both in terms of what you've got to do and if you've got big projects that you've got to do. If you're going to start one, let's start before you start to say where's that stopping point going to be so that you don't have to reboot your computer. You document where you left off so you don't have to go back to the beginning and start all over. And, and you know, Jeff, direct- I think that is... That is of utmost importance. I mean, I can't emphasize enough to people uh, who might be listening that sometimes what you're calling a motivational problem has to do with the ambiguity of your goals and your assignments and what you're tasking yourself to do. Uh, And that causes an obstacle, that kind of ambiguity and generality, and you're not sure uh, all of a sudden you're avoiding it again. And, And sometimes it's because you've chosen too big a goal uh, or you didn't articulate it as well as you should, or just breaking it down and unpacking it into very simple, specific little substeps gets you around that. But sometimes a motivational problem is a procrastination problem, and that to me is, an, is a problem of often ambiguity. Uh, you, you've, it, it's like saying, I'm going to write a book. Well, I never say I'm going to write a book. What, what, <laughs> what you do is you say, uh, how about if I write a sentence? Or how about if I do an outline? And then I'll start with the first sentence, and then I'll go to the second. You know, uh, it's a strategy of breaking larger goals down into smaller goals that are easy, that are foreseeable, yep. and that you can easily overcome. I was talking with a professional athlete the other day who also has ADHD. He happens to be a baseball player. Uh, And we were talking about uh, tricks that he has found to get around these problems when it comes to the workouts they have to do. Because let me tell you, working out as an athlete is boring for them. You know, hitting the gym, hitting the weights, you know, running the field, doing the practicing and the catching and the batting practice and everything. You know, they don't find that so interesting as they do the game. And he said, you know, what I found to do is exactly what you suggested, Jeff. He said, the first thing I'll do is I'll say, I have to do 50 reps. I'm just going to do 10. My goal right now is 10. Mm-hmm. Well, 10's easy, and he gets it done. And as soon as he hits 10, he says, man, that was so easy. Yep. I could do another 10. So he doesn't yep. say 50. He takes a 10 at a time, and as he finishes the 10, it's easy to talk about the next five or the next 10. Yes. And by setting those small little baby steps, all of a sudden he's done 50. But if he says, I need to sit down on the bench and I need to do 50 bench presses or I need to hit, you know, 50 shots from the pitching machine at, you know, when I'm standing at the plate, that's just part of our drill. Uh, Well, he doesn't. He says, I'll hit 10. 
Uh, and every time he yep. gets to 10, the next 10 become easier. And then he says, when it gets really hard, then I say five. Then I say two. He said, you'd be surprised how many reps in practice I can get done. And it's precisely the same strategy you're talking about. If you would just take the goal and unpack it into its mini steps, the mini steps are easy. And then you get them done. Uh, and I love your idea about packing for a trip because that's what you do. <laughs> It's, it's funny, you just triggered something because I want to get into the athlete thing. Matter of fact, I want to talk about something that I worked with a high school kid, and I want to go to break and kind of come back. And I, I ultimately want to get to athletics because I want to share my experience as a swimmer doing that. But I was coaching a high school yeah. kid one time that was a baseball player, and he was describing one day how he's sitting there playing and he, he's having a hard time focusing and regulating. He wants to be motivated and playing the game, but you know, he gets distracted. He starts to 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 to, to to daydream, if you will. One day, there was a game, yeah. and all of a sudden, the batter was done, and the ball went flying by, because when they struck the guy out, they threw it to third base, and they kind of run around, and he was really embarrassed by this. So we actually kind of got to, like, this this idea of what he was going to do to be able to manage this and begin to visualize a routine that he could do where he would focus and not. He got into yeah. the point in time, he would sit one, his feet, he would sit there, and he would he would focus on the pitch, and then when it was done, he would stand up, and he would, we had this routine that he would swish around the dirt, and stuff like that to kind yeah. of relax a couple minutes. And then he would pull his energy back together and say, I want to focus. And he would kind of go back down. And it was the routine of letting his mind daydream and but then say, okay, I can visualize me focusing. He had this ritual that he went into that would bring his attention yeah. back from – it was because he could see it that was able for him to stay on task. And he was all excited because it was profound difference in his ability to focus yeah. on the batter when it was time to focus. Um, again, what a great strategy, by, yeah. By, by working that stuff in, which is interesting because it worked well on third base. It didn't work very well in the outfield. But anyway, needless to say, um, I yeah. want to go to a break and come back, and I want to I go to what athletes do. Um, I'm sure some sure. personal experiences and stuff because this visualization, this stuff actually kind of plays actually in the athletic arena that we can find. So um, we'll go to break again. Dr. Barkley, Google him. You can find him everywhere, but his website is russellbarkley.org. Tonight's secret word is motivation, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? <laughs> Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. 
Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation about ADHD and motivation with the Dr. Russell Barkley, one of my favorites. I've learned more from him than I, anyone else combined. His stuff is absolutely brilliant. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about athletes. And, you know, Dr. Barkley, my own personal experience yeah. is I remember in um, 1979, 1980 was the first time I was in high school I made um, U.S. Nationals in swimming and Olympic trials. And I went, and it was very easy to get motivated. Uh, Reagan was running for president at the time. He was there. I saw world records. I mean, it was really, really pretty easy. But as I got into college and I'd gone to nationals a couple times in NCAs, it wasn't wasn't as exciting. And when I went to dual meets, it was particularly difficult. I would walk in because I would have to perform and I would actually have to get motivated. I had to get emotionally charged up. And it was funny because I look back on those times and what I used to do is, number one, I would put a hood on and some music and I would actually play very depressing music earlier in the day to kind of bring myself down. And as we got a little bit closer to it, what I would do is I'd actually start to amp the music up, and I would begin to to think about the event. And then as we got there, I would really walk up, and visualization wasn't the best for me, particularly for a swimmer, but I began to feel and focus in on how much I wanted to hurt myself when I was going in the water, like how much pain I could endure. And I would sit up on the blocks, and I would just, just stare at the water, and I would begin to not visualize, if you will, but just feel the sensation yeah. of the anxiety that I was going to thrust upon myself when I went in the water. And at that point in time, I would have the music really kind of going to really be able to manage my emotions and my motivation in a dual meet that really yeah. wasn't that important. And I'm sharing that because it's, it's a metacognition, it's a mindfulness exercise that I willfully said, okay, at this time, I want to peak my emotions, I want to peak my motivation to make that happen. And athletes do it all the time. You watch like LeBron. John James getting off the bus for his 10th NBA final or whatever. They've got the headphones on. They've got the masks and stuff that block out the pressure because they, they don't want that right. emotion in, and they're focused on kind of what's going on because they're really, in my sense, controlling their emotion to control their emotion, their motivation to control their intention. I want to stop yeah. here and let you yeah, comment on that, but it's a very willful act as an athlete on what you're trying to do. Yes, it is. And, and uh, some of the athletes that both you and I have talked to actually liken it to going into battle toward what soldiers would have to do in order to gear themselves up for what is going to be, to some of them, a, you know, an overwhelming and high pressure and sometimes frightening situation for them. Uh, and so what are some of the strategies that soldiers do as they prepare for combat or what athletes do or what fighters do when they're going into a difficult situation? And sometimes music is one of them. You know, what it calls to mind the scene, you know, out of Apocalypse Now where the soldiers are about to attack the beach and their captain is playing the flight of the Valkyries over speakers on the helicopters in order to motivate them. If you haven't heard that, it's a Wagner theme that is very motivational to combatants or how about Rocky and the, you know, the theme that he's playing while he's training uh, in order to go into the ring in, uh, you know, the first Rocky Balboa movie. So, you know, I know these are old references, so I'm dating myself here, but the the fact (laughs) remains that this use of music to motivate, and that's because music elicits emotion and emotions are motivations. Uh, And whatever it takes, if you're somebody like you are, who you know, viewed this as a battle of, of wills uh, yep. with myself before you went into the pool, that's great. Uh, if you're somebody who views this as you know, there's so much pain that I can take and I know I can do this, 
whatever pep talk you need to do and whatever music you need to get you there, those are great strategies. Uh, you know, some people even listen to music while they're working in order to make yep. boring situations more easy to uh, to negotiate uh, and, and to succeed in. So that use of music, it isn't just words, it isn't just images. Sometimes sounds uh, are, are sufficient to activate our feelings and then very strong feelings at that. And that's a key to self-motivation. So I, I love that, uh, that yep. sort of example so, that you gave about the athlete. Yeah, and, and, and we did an interview with Roger DeWitt um, not that long ago, um, his mother was the voice of Wilma Flintstone, and uh, I think he was actually on the Jetsons or something when he was younger, but he's done like 1,600 um, uh, 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 versions of Phantom of the Opera, and in that situation, he's done it so many times as those actors get older, they actually have to hurt. They actually have to get their emotions up to get motivated to actually play the part the way they want to. And he talked about how mentally they would rehearse in their mind and try to stand into character um, to try to make that happen. To me, Dr. Barkley, what, what this has kind of taken us back to is we're bringing awareness to the motivational process, but it takes a level of self-regulation to pause to direct an action back on yourself, to change your behavior, to change the future, and that is to say, I need this thing to happen. I need to bring the – I need to own this. I need to bring the visualization in. I need to externalize this. I need to bring the emotion in in order for me to get the motivation for me to execute what I'm doing, which is a little bit of an effortful act, but at the end of the day, it's that willful intention that you designed that can make you move forward. Is that, am I misrepresenting yeah. that, or is that, is that the no, I, what we're I talking about No, I think the pause here? is very important, very important. And I think along with that pause, in order to just stop the action, just wait a second, don't react to what's going on around you, that pause is crucial. In addition to that, people with ADHD, not just athletes, but almost everybody with ADHD I talk to, find that movement is useful when they're working when they're tasked with a situation that is boring, that is effortful, that they got to plow through and, and just power through it, oftentimes even incidental movement can be motivating to them to help them concentrate better. Uh, and I think it's because people enjoy movement, uh, whereas sitting still is hard, even for typical people to do. We have to move. We have to fidget. We have to self-stimulate. And we find those motivating and, and attention-getting. Uh, and so as you and I have talked before, build in little exercise routines, even micro-exercises. If you have to be in a meeting and it's boring, take in a stress ball and squeeze it. Tap your foot. What do you need to do? Like the athlete you mentioned who would periodically give himself the chance, the, the, the permission to just move around a little bit, engage in that little ritual, break this thing down into smaller pieces, and frequently, you know, disperse movement throughout that task. And you'll find that task is a lot easier to do than if you try to force yourself to sit still uh, and pay attention and get this work done. Move while you're doing it, and you'll get it done. Yeah, so I, I got a bunch of stories. There's, a, I have, I, there's an attention talk video that I did with uh, Pete, who is a coach, and talks about when he reads – He's basically walking down the sidewalk. He's got to be moving. Uh, there's a psychologist yeah. in North Carolina one time that's put her picture on the Internet where there's a board across a treadmill, and she's on her computer, and she actually walks on it. My favorite story in this is I was coaching an individual at one point in time who's constantly moving, and he's getting to the end of his career, and his wife wanted to hang out and binge um, watch Netflix. And he actually acknowledged that, 
that day he was crawling out of his skin. He was very uncomfortable, and it was, he was just really restless. Yeah. And he admitted that for him to relax, he had to be moving. And his, his wife, like, to relax, she hadn't been moving. And once he admitted that we right. could try this, we thought it was a brilliant idea. So he put, his, put a bar stool in front of his exercise bike, and his wife came home that night. She walked in, and he gave her a glass of wine, and he sat her down on a chair, and he crawled up on the exercise bike and said, Honey, let's talk. And she's looking, yeah. I'm like, what's going to go on? And he said, for the first time in 25 years, I actually feel like I focused and I was able to, to, to really engage with my wife. Now, yeah. he was moving, right. but he was like, oh, my God, now I'm really motivated to do this stuff. And it was, I, I yeah. say this, I, I, Melissa Orlov and I talked about the five love languages and about the, uh, the um, spending time together. And we use this as an example. Those five love languages really make a lot of sense. But in the ADD world, to spend time with somebody might mean to get the motivation to exercise or to be moving while your spouse is sitting there to kind of engage that. As crazy as that yeah. sounds, is it was very yeah. effortful to accomplish his goal and his intention to listen to his wife and gain motivation yeah. so that he could sit there and sustain focus for that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes just going for a walk together can facilitate that kind of focus yeah. on communication and sustaining communication. Whereas if we sat down at a table and tried to have the same talk, we would lose the ADHD person within minutes of having that talk, both because of conflict avoidance, but also because it, you know, they need to move. Uh, so I yep. love building in that sort of exercise and movement. Even little mini movements can help. You know, we've also talked about the need to, you know, break the task down into small units, make sure that you're putting small rewards into the task, even if they're artificial little rewards, like promising yourself that you can get a coffee after you do, you know, one of 20 forms that you have to fill out for your job or how many reports you have to write. You know, break that down into smaller ones and give yourself a little treat along the way. And it doesn't have to be food or, you know, coffee or some favorite yep. beverage, but it can also be I'm going to let myself play that word game or that video game. So you've got a little, you know, tablet uh, that's next to you, and that's where you keep your games, because you and I talked about this before. Yep. You never put your games on your work computer. You know, your work computer's Absolutely. for work. Uh, the games that you want to play are on a different computer. Yeah. Makes it really so you, difficult you, you, to self-regulate when you've got, like, social media stuff kind of popping up left and right. I, 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 wanted, I, I wanted to identify something, because you were talking about breaking things down into smaller tasks so that you can kind of move forward. Right. But to take to take a playbook out of your thing is for people with ADHD talking, verbalizing, to talk out loud in order to break those things down. Sometimes I have found it, a person with ADHD, if they're sitting next to somebody else and they're telling the person what they've got to do, the verbalization right. by telling – the other person doesn't say anything. We call it kind of a body double. But they feel like yeah. they're talking to somebody, and when they're doing that, it makes it easier, at least from my perspective, and you can correct me yeah. if wrong, it's easier for them to boot up and bring things into their working memory and get them out on paper yeah. to externalize it. So it sounds kind of crazy, but to sit there and try to think – by themselves is one thing, right. but it's a heck of a lot easier for them if they're with somebody, easier to self-regulate. Right. Number two, particularly if they're talking, because that verbal processing right. will stumble into things. They get the, the tasks out. They reduce the ambiguity. And now when they're on paper and they're clear, they know what to do, and they make it, make it happen. And they're not dealing with the anxiety when they're not activating, beginning to get down on themselves, because that's negative to their motivation, saying I'm procrastinating and I'm, not, I'm lazy. Whereas if you move into this environment, 
make it easier for your working memory, get it on paper, then you feel the good energy, yeah. and all of a sudden you're activating. This is the craziness that works for people with ADHD. I mean, it's, it sounds Precisely. crazy, but it really does. But it, but it's not crazy. I, I think in, in addition, you, you've, uh, I think, tapped into something here that we need to make very explicit. Sometimes the most motivating thing you can do, because we're human and we're social people, is to make yourself socially accountable for the goals that you're setting for yourself. Yes, you have to break the goals down and make sure that they're doable and make sure that they're small and they don't take as much time. So smaller quotas at the beginning allow you to get more done if you just keep doing small quotas. All of that works. But one of the best things you can do in addition to that is make yourself accountable to others. Tell other people what you plan to do. Make sure that they arrange some kind of a consequence for you for doing that. Sometimes just telling them and checking in with them is a consequence in and of itself. Uh, I know you probably did this. I did when I was doing marathons. The training was boring, so I used to train with my neighbor, and we would commit to getting up at 6.30 and doing that eight-mile training run each morning uh, that we needed to do and that Sunday morning 20-mile run. But by committing to do something with another person, you activate motivation that ordinarily wouldn't be there, and it's a social motivation. Uh, and, and whether it has to do with wanting the other person to like you or fear of embarrassment, who knows what all the emotions are that are mixed up in social accountability, but it can work for you where just promising yourself a goal and a reward uh, is often not enough because you cheat. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll promise yourself your reward and you'll yep. sneak the reward earlier than you should have and not do the work that you're supposed to do. But by making yourself so, accountable to somebody else, uh, you can't do that. It makes it a lot harder to cheat and a lot more motivating to do that. Yeah, so I have, I have to tell this story. I'm actually presenting at this year's uh, 2018 conference uh, on ADHD, um, the impact of exercise on ADHD. And I've done this presentation before, Dr. Barkley, but I tell my own stories is when I, I used to swim four hours a day. When I graduated from college, um, I was still able to train for a period of time, but since 1988 to this day, I've never not had a training buddy. And when I lived in Manhattan, yeah. there was a guy that worked, um, Brown Brothers Harriman, he swam at Harvard, and we would go in, like, we're going to swim tomorrow, and sometimes we would wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. If you wake up, you call the other guy. And if the phone was off the hook, that meant they were out. Sometimes my buddy had to work all night, whatever. I knew that he wasn't going to be there. Every once in a while, I could go on my own. But it's funny because when the phone rang and they picked it up, a lot of times I would call him out of obligation, and he'd, we'd go, you out, you in. And he'd go, I'm in. I'm like, yeah. I didn't want to go, but I had to. And we would go. And I've had running partners, always another individual, literally for 30 years now, that has helped me kind of do that stuff. And do because exercise in itself is a repetitive, boring task, whether it's swimming or running. But it changed yeah. everything. And when you showed up and it was a social exercise, to me, there was so much more happening. It wasn't just a run. There was the socialist. And all of them, we always had right. jokes and stories as a result about it. So by doing that, sure. I was able to create that self-motivation for me to continue it to this day. And it's all because you of bet. really what you just said. These are all yeah, real well, it, it, it's, I, it's two things. Yeah, it, let's, let's make sure that readers understand yep. there's two separate things you can do here. Uh, the first is to uh, just commit to somebody else for what you plan on doing. They don't have to do it with you, but you're going to check back in with them in a certain period of time in order to review how much you've gotten done, did it get done, and you're going to let them have access to something that's important to you uh, to give that back to you, for instance. So, you know, strategy number one, be accountable to somebody else for the goal. Strategy number two is do the goal with somebody 
and you're more likely to get it done. Strategy number three, give them something important that's valuable to do. Here's an example. I had a friend with ADHD who wanted to quit smoking, and he couldn't do it. First of all, 75% of people who try to quit can't do it anyway, and the figure is even lower for people with ADHD. So here's what he did. He gave a check for $300 to a friend that he works with, and he said, if you ever see me with a cigarette or you smell cigarette smoke on my clothing or my hair when I get near you, cash that check. It's yours. And he created a consequence (laughs) for himself. And then he said, if I'm able to go X number of days uh, without smoking, give the check back to me. So he clearly had built in both a penalty and a reward for something that he was finding very, very hard to do. Now, you have to make the penalty meaningful. You can't make it something trivial like, oh, I'll buy you a pizza or something. I mean, it has to hurt uh, in order for you to stick with that. Yeah, so I have to tell this story because this is right line. A, a buddy of mine wanted to do something one time. And he, uh, you really want to do it? Right. I'll tell you what. He's a very big Democrat. Write a check to me. Give me a check to the yes. Republican Party for $500. And if, you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't do it, I'm sending it in to him. Flawless. Yes, in he your name. He did not have a problem with the motivation getting that done. <laughs> That's right. I've had people threaten to do that with Scientology for me. If you don't get this done, we're going to send your check to the Scientologists. And, of course, you know they're my arch enemies out there. So yep, that yep, is yep. – uh, I, I love that use of, of penalties that hurt in order yep. to motivate you. You know, I think this is a great time to put in a plug, however, for sometimes you can't do it alone. And sometimes you can't necessarily find somebody to commit to or to hold you accountable or to do it with you. And, you know, this to me is where ADHD coaching really pays off because you can, in fact, hire compassionate people who are well-informed, who understand ADHD, uh, and who are willing to work with you in a positive, upbeat, and constructive way, not a moralizing and, you know, degenerative sort of way where they're going to, you know, put you down or, or anything like a, a parent or, you know, a partner might do, especially if you're not getting along with them at the time. Uh, but, you know, let's not forget that part of the reason ADHD coaching is becoming such an increasingly promising profession uh, and why the evidence is showing that it plays an important part for adults with ADHD is precisely this. It is motivating to make yourself accountable to other people, uh, even if it is somebody who is an ADHD coach for you. So, you know, pat yourself on the back for that because that that really does help a lot of adults who in other ways could not make themselves yep. accountable. Yeah, so forgive me for another personal story. So when I got into this business originally, I had a couple of coaches around because writing is a challenge for me because of my dyslexia and right. a bunch of other reasons. And so it was like, I got to do something different, not try harder, try difference because it's just, it was, it's, it's just too hard. And so I actually started this podcast, Attention Talk Radio, and I fast forward now and, you know, Dr. Barkley, it wasn't, it was, it was that coaching and saying, hey, listen, let's, let's try to think different, not necessarily hard. I started this, it's 10 years later, I've got, I did it originally so I'd have something to talk about on social media. I've gotten this, what I didn't know I was going to get, an amazing education from experts like yourself, number one, which has been beyond phenomenal, number one. Number two, mm-hmm. it's helped me with name recognition that I didn't necessarily know. And then three, what's exciting is uh, Jessica McCabe, who does How to ADD and I, are doing a pre-workshop at the conference talking about marketing and branding, which is really funny Great. because people are going to, People are going to listen for the tips, like the business side. But what's funny is both of us are going to talk about how both of it was born of an 
individual need. Mine was to get away from writing, and hers was a place to put her own tips so she didn't lose them. So they didn't start with a business plan to manifest as they are today. They started for some other reasons, which for me was a direct result of of a coaching type thing for me to look and do it a little bit differently. And I've been very motivated ever since. It's like changed everything for me just in that like a small adjustment. So forgive me for putting that in there, but it, there's so much no. wrapped up into that, that 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 shares that stuff. And not that try hard or try different sometimes is a different way to do it. And coaching right. is really kind of what we're about on that. So Yes, yes it is. And, um, you know, even if you don't become a coach, let's pull the lesson out of there. And that is pick the right niche, find an ADHD-friendly occupation, and a lot of times your motivational difficulties can be reduced dramatically because sometimes you're not in the right place doing the right job that's best for you and your aptitudes. So people don't think about that when it comes to motivational problems. But if your motivational problems are chronic, particularly with regard to your occupation or your vocation uh, or, or your hobby, maybe you've picked the wrong thing. Is there something related you could do? Is there a different field you might try? What do you have an aptitude for? And that's what you guys did. And notice you don't have a motivational problem anymore because you're not in the old job that caused the motivational problems Absolutely. to begin with. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. keep that in mind. And let's not forget ADHD medications can help as well. And, you know, we, we sometimes forget to, to bring those into the mix, but 80% of our clients uh, are at yep. some time or another, at some point in development, probably going to have to rely on the ADHD medications. And they too can help with motivation. So, I want to kind of pull all this stuff together. So, Dr. Barclay, what I've learned so much from you in the interviews over the over the time. I've learned that the, these layers of executive function really kind of go back to the first thing that I was drawn to you back. I think it was 2010 and 2011. That ADHD is very much a self-regulation issue. The need to pause and direct an action back on yourself to change your behavior to change the future. And we've talked yeah. about emotions the pause and to down-regulate. We've talked about working memory, to pause and to be able to externalize. Today we're talking about pausing and a mindful activity in order to engage our motivation and our emotion to move that stuff forward. It really is about self-awareness, number one. Number two, the pause, which, by the way, I want to come back to that's the hardest thing in coaching is to help people do it, particularly when it comes to emotion. But it's it's that stop the executive functioning brain engaged to override that automatic brain. And the thing that I learned from you that was the most profound thing ever is it's effortful. It's hard to take the the brain and beat the primitive brain down, say, get out of the way. And I don't want to minimize that. But the one thing I've learned is if the people that I coach, when they get that, and they learn the pause, the world completely changes. And it is a little bit effortful, but if you practice it, and you're mindful to it, as, as Dr. Hollowell, there's, you know, it, it, ADHD is not necessarily a gift, but you can live a very fulfilling life. It just takes a little bit of effort yes. to practice the pause. Yes, it does. And remember what your mother said, stop and think before you act, and the word stop comes first. You're absolutely right. Yes, the pause <laughs> is crucial. Without the pause, there's no thinking. Without the thinking, you're in trouble. You're on automatic pilot all day long doing automatic behavior, and that is not a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Dr. Barkley, uh, in closing out, have we said it all? Is that it? We good? I think that that's about it. My, my goodness, we've covered a lot of territory here, and I think a lot of strategies that your listeners should find useful, uh, and they can certainly explore more through your other podcasts and through your writing and so on and through my books as well. 
Uh, there's an awful lot out there to help the adult with ADHD, you know, including my books, Taking Charge of Adult ADHD and When an Adult You Love Has ADHD for Loved Ones. Uh, there's just a ton of information that people can access when they're ready to access it. But the first thing is to own it. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody, it's russellbarkley.org. And with that, Dr. Barkley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed today. Catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.